0: Hello, Redemption's Hill family and friends out there this week. This is our uh, sixth online message during this coronavirus pandemic, believe it or not, which is pretty mind-boggling if you slow down to think about it. If I were to have told you, you know, six months ago uh, that something is coming, uh, something so major uh, that we will not be able to gather for. Uh, literally months at at a time. I imagine you would have looked at me and just kind of laughed and, and maybe you would have said something like, you're you're crazy, but lo and behold, uh, here we are and that unthinkable scenario has happened and our lives took a really drastic detour, uh, one that we had not asked for and we, we really hadn't made any preparations for it, but yet it happened anyway. With all of that in mind, today I want to shift gears just just a little bit in in how we preach this week uh, to spend a little time talking about what possible good could come out of the situation that we find ourselves in. As a pastor, for the first several messages during this kind of COVID era, we preached heavily on, on hope. Uh, the gospel is still true. How do you find contentment in Christ in the middle of, of chaos? I put those firmly in the genre of, hey, don't freak out type of, of sermons. But now, e- even though we aren't in the clear, um, we can uh, breathe just a little bit because it seems like for the first time, maybe there's just a, a small little glimmer uh, of daylight, And there's even maybe a a tentative date when the stay-at-home order could possibly uh, be lifted for us, which I completely realize doesn't mean that on that exact date, everything will 100% go back to the way it was before. Uh, Social distancing uh, will not end on that date. It doesn't mean that that coronavirus is all of a sudden gone and we passed it. I I get all of that. But when there is a, a glimmer of hope for us, uh, what we need to, to do is is stop and say, okay, before we get out of the other side of this thing, what could we learn about ourselves through this and about our lives through what we found in this current situation that we're in? So that's kind of what we want to do today. A really interesting and possibly unexpected thing that has happened to many people over the past six weeks only becomes apparent when we kind of look at the trajectory of what's happened and the course of events. So I, I want to make sure to say that what I'm going to point out, it hasn't happened to uh, everyone. It's happened to many people, but, but not all people. Our medical professionals have experienced something uh, much different than a lot of us have in this uh, kind of cycle of, of life. So this won't be everyone's situation, but it might just be uh, yours. When the news of the coronavirus first came, uh, nobody expected it to blow up in the way that it did. Nobody thought this meteoric rise was going to happen, but it did. We went from somewhat normal to lockdown in about seven days, give or take where you live. Right? That means we were doing all the stuff. We were going out to eat. We were going to coffee shops. We were going to work at an actual work location. Uh, we were going to work out. We were going shopping. We were sending our kids to school. We could have parties. We could have get-togethers. We could go to church. We could send kids to sports. We could go to happy hour if we wanted to, and we could hang out with whatever friend at whatever distance we chose to. And seven days later, we could do none of that. All of that was taken away. Pretty much all of our rituals and our routines and our hobbies and our loves and our interests were were all removed. And even all of our social obligations and and, and social meetings, they were all taken away. We had the the e-break yanked on us so fast in this way that we had a major kind of mental and emotional whiplash factor at that point. Everything is off the table all of a sudden. And this this kind of whiplash effect, I called it the the, the detox phase of COVID nineteen. It may sound small to some, but but it, it's really not. Uh, even if you didn't notice it. Uh, I think you probably saw the impacts of it. All the things that we so carefully crafted and decided to be a part of to bring us joy and meaning, all those things were were yanked out from underneath of us and we couldn't go to those things that we were used to going to and our hearts and minds began to panic. For for some people, when you felt this, even if you didn't realize that, that it was hard for you, may, maybe you just got testy with some of the people who were around you. Uh, maybe you kind of lashed out a little bit. Maybe you became super emotional and got all of a sudden kind of sad when you're normally not that prone to to getting sad. Maybe you just slept way more than you normally do to kind of pretend what was going on wasn't happening. Uh, Maybe you binged way more television than you already do. Maybe you began to drink a little bit more than you normally do. All of those are modes of compensating for a heart that's just kind of panicking a little bit over the change. But then after that, after the whiplash, after the detox, after the panic phase, fast forward to the past maybe week or so, we've been under these house uh, stay-at-home orders for a while. And surprisingly enough, we still can't do all the things that we were doing pre-COVID. But even though we can't do all of that stuff, and we're kind of in the same situation, even though all of that is true, um, we're all still alive. Uh, Even more so... Uh, more than just alive, many of us find ourselves surprisingly in a fairly good mental space. I've had a number of conversations with people over the last week or so And one of the things that I keep hearing is, man, I was so worried going into this that I was gonna get depressed or have a bout with anxiety or end up in just a bad spot mentally or uh, emotionally. And and I'm still scared and I still don't know how all of it's gonna work out. And I still have some things I'm just not sure what to to do with. I'm still worried about what the economy is going to look like after. But I'm actually, and here's the point where you you almost hear a tone of, of guilt from the person when they tell the story, but I'm actually kind of happy, or, or at least I'm content, or I don't, I don't know if that's a good way to say it. Maybe they'll say, maybe I, I have peace. Maybe that's it. See, people uh, think that when things are taken away from them, that they will lose their their identity. Pastor Dennis says it this way, that we'll become less than when we have things taken away from us. But what we are finding is this, in many ways with less right now, we're actually starting to feel more human. Let's make sure we catch that. We're finding life more by having and doing less. I wanna make sure not to oversimplify things. I'm not saying that this is easy. I'm not saying that the universal experience right now is just utter joy of the heart. I fully realize that people are out of work. People are filled with anxiety over finances, over if COVID will still have a major breakout in their city and all the implications. I understand that people are still scared about many things, including the future. And while that is true, there is still this interesting reality for many people right now. Life has drastically slowed and scaled back. The calendar is empty, and yet the heart is somehow more full. The soul has kind of this room, and all of a sudden... Even with the chaos and even with the things removed from our lives, uh, the the room that the soul has is creating this spot where it just feels a little bit healthier than it was prior. Again, I I don't want to be considered or or sound tone deaf as if this is just easy uh, and nobody has any problems. This season is really difficult on all of us in a number of ways. But in the face of difficulty, you still may be surprised to find that your heart's actually kind of doing all right. Maybe it's actually more than all right. Maybe your heart is okay. Maybe you're starting to realize that, man, there's so much that I can't do and I kind of miss, but my heart is actually responding positively to something that I'm not, I really didn't think that there could be any positives out of, which raises the question, what does that mean? Why could we have everything taken away, but then our heart actually feel healthier? And and how does the Bible speak into this to to make sure that this isn't a a TED talk to see how the Bible actually begins to talk about why this may be true? What we're going to do is look at the book of Psalms, chapter 145, and see if we can't make any connections in all of this. The book of Psalms is literally a book filled full of songs and, and, and poems and prayers to God. It's been used by the people of God throughout all of history to teach them to express their feelings in worship and communication to God the Father. Now now that's really important. The Psalms help us and teach us to navigate life through worship. They help us connect with God in good moments and bad. If you've read the Psalms, there's some dark Psalms because they teach us how to relate to God no matter what type of of season in life uh, we're going through. They help us with this regular just kind of position of worship and connection with God. Now, if you're wondering, okay, great, people all over uh, history have used this for a while, but we're we're like thousands of years later than than the New Testament. So how does this apply to us? Well, Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. And he did this because he found it important for us to continually connect with the Psalms regularly which means that it has value for us, especially right now. As we read this psalm, I want you to focus on, I want you to listen for the, the posture of the psalmist look deep. What's kind of his, his angle? What's his posture? What words would you use to describe kind of his mentality as he is expressing this psalm? Look deeply at it. And then I want you to ask, after you find the posture that you would consider the psalmist having when he writes this, is that posture relatable to your life? Or is that posture something that you're like, man, I, that just couldn't be me? I'll read it slowly. And hopefully our, our soul began to kind of feel through this, what the psalmist is saying and, and, and what the psalmist is getting after. Psalm 145, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. I would encourage you maybe later to read the, the entire psalm. It, it's all good. But it says this, the psalmist writes, I will exalt you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever, every day I will bless you and praise your name. Here it is again, forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness, it is, it's unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. One shall declare your mighty works. Verse five, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, hear this, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. I wonder what words you would use to describe the posture or mindset of this psalm. Some that came to my mind as I began to just kind of read it, I I really thought of the words captivated or mesmerized. As Paul Tripp puts it, the psalmist is in awe of God. We're going to use that word a lot moving forward. He is in awe, as in the psalmist is blown away by God, overwhelmed by God, as if uh, really amazement and respect and reverence and gratitude all slammed together. And the result of those things was Psalm 145. Can't you feel it when you read the text? The psalmist is utterly taken back by God. If you were to read the entire psalm in the original language, you'd actually see it even more. What the psalmist does is he uses a writing technique that's interesting. He sequentially goes through the alphabet, praising God with each symbol in it, right? For us, it would be the equivalent of something like this. A, awesome in power and glory and splendor is our God. B, beyond all imagination is the depth of your loving kindness. See, caring for generations upon generations with unending covenantal love, right? I think you get the idea. What we can see if we look for it is in this Old Testament psalm, awe is firing on all cylinders. I mean, it is just moving. See, we were created for awe, for amazement to flow out of our hearts. And then hear this here's the next part amazement to flow out of our hearts and into worship. For all to come from us looking at and pondering God and his character and his creation and what he's done and his love and his action. And when we ponder all of these things about God and what he's done and what he's made and what he's invited us into, what happens is we erupt in worship. Oh my gosh, that you would do that. You are good. I praise you. All amazement leads to worship. Now break that down to smaller parts. Uh, What would that look like in in our lives outside of their biblical language? Fast forward to to 2020, right? Uh, To to COVID time or or maybe pre or post COVID time. What would that look like for us? How would awe come and then lead to, to worship? Well, for us, it could mean things like when you read scripture and realize that the God of the universe is speaking and revealing himself to finite creatures like us? Oh, that you would do that? When we realize the gospel of grace, that Jesus has come and, and paid for everything, oh, that you would pay my debt, right? Or, or what about the just other things that we do in life? Maybe when we look into nature and we see beautiful colors after a long winter when all we saw was gray, maybe we experience this sense of all. Or maybe it's when you belly laugh with a good friend so much that like your your stomach hurts, and you got to run to the bathroom afterwards. Maybe it's when you taste an incredible meal and, and there's just so many beautiful flavors in it and you're like, this is amazing. Maybe it's when you feel the warmth of a good relationship and connecting with a friend and then you're just thankful for that relationship around you. Maybe it's the feeling of the freshness of a cool breeze on a humid July day in, in Missouri. Basically, when we experience something and, and we are moving at a pace in life that allows us to see how that experience relates to God the Father in heaven above and how it relates to Jesus' finished work and through that our hearts are just moved in all and then they worship. See, this is the process. Now, I asked before I read the text to try and think of how relatable this text felt to you. Does this feel foreign to your life? Does it feel possible? Right? The author says, I exalt the, and bless your name forever. Right? Forever and ever. Then he follows it with, every day I will bless you. And every day I will praise your name. Listen. Those are heavy words. Verse five, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. As in, I will lock my gaze onto what you have done over and over and over again. How does that make you feel? Does it seem extreme to you? Insane? Impossible? Like almost maybe, does it feel like a weight around your neck? Like the idea of praising uh, God just seems heavy? Or maybe does it sound like a duty or a task or, or just another thing that I have to praise God every single day? Or maybe it seems boring or a waste of time or useless to meditate on God every single day. Maybe your reaction to the psalmist is something like, seriously, who has time for that? That is so much. Who has time for that? Like every day? I don't know exactly where I'm supposed to fit that into my calendar. Like, I don't know that I have enough gaps to do that. Maybe your mind immediately comes up with all the reasons why this type of awe and worship cycle isn't realistic for your life. Why this cycle won't fit in your life. Why it would be foreign in your life. Why this type of person is is just not who you could ever be. And in, in all of those emotions which if we're honest, I think we could feel all of them at some point or another, we may begin to understand. This is part of our current human problem. The life that we have grown accustomed to living pre-COVID-19, hear me, it's not suited for all. It's not built for it. It's not conducive to it. It simply moves too fast and it's too jam packed full of stuff and it has too many things in it to where you cannot see clearly what God's done and who He is and how He loves and cares for you. Maybe we have um, run at a, pl- a pace so long that it's begun to trick you. Uh, To begin to say, well, it's not that I'm actually moving too fast. It's just I'm not really kind of an all type of person. Well, that's not true. We are all all type of people. We were created for all and worship. It's not that you don't have that in you. It's the fact that you're moving too fast to be able to notice and participate in it. Many guys who'd say, well, I'm not built for all. You'd see them go to a sports game and they'll cheer and they'll they'll high five and they'll get excited. Like that's all. That's what that is. It's just not pointed at God. We all have all capacity. It's just that we're moving so fast that we're so distracted by all the things around us to where the beauty of the things that should cause us to, to be amazed by God, that they're just not beautiful to us because we're, we're moving too quickly. Let me try and help us see what I'm hoping to point out about how this might work. When I first met Allie, my wife, before we were married, I, I, had, I had a ridiculously fast motorcycle, a sports bike. Um, ask her about it later. She thought it was cool, but I, I was an idiot on this bike right? Uh, from time to time, I would do many dumb things on it, uh, partially because I thought it was really fun to scare her, uh, but, but I did unwise things every once in a while on it. Well, one time I found myself with a friend um, out on the outskirts of town uh, out in Iowa, and we found uh, an, an abandoned airport, right? And at this abandoned airport, there is pavement for miles upon miles, and it's flat, and it's smooth and it's abandoned like there's nobody around so so what do two guys with really fast motorcycles with a ton of pavement do they look at each other and go want to see how fast we can go on our motorcycles and and so so we did um I'm not saying it was smart, but it was what we did. As we took off, right? we started at one side, we looked at each other, we're like, okay, let's, let's do this thing. Uh, as, we, as we started on one side, we, we, we quickly got down into the tuck position, hiding behind the, the windscreen or, or the front windshield, you might call it, on, on the motorcycle, and we began cycling through the RPMs and the gears first and second and third and fourth, and, and we are moving super fast. I'd taken the bike uh, to 100 miles per hour before and then kind of normally at that point then I'd kind of let off and I I'd, I'd, I'd did that a couple different times. On this day we greatly passed that number. What surprised me about this was at a certain speed something different happened. My vision began to distort in a way that I just not experienced before. All of a sudden as I moved fast my brain could not process the things that I was passing, the frames of my my vision uh, were were moving by too fast to where I could not see what was around me or moving past me. I could see what was directly in front of me. I could see what I was aimed at on that bike, but I could no longer see or perceive with any type of clarity what I was passing by. This is what is called tunnel vision, right? You're, you're zoomed in. You can see what's right there. Everything else you cannot see, or perceive very well. I was at a pace too fast to process, see, or understand or enjoy the things flying by me. A pace so fast that that vision became reduced to a fraction of what is really there. The things were still there as I passed them by. I just couldn't process them because I was moving by them too quickly. What we may just find is that exact same thing as what is happening in our lives. We have been moving so fast. We have been doing so much. We have our lives jammed so full from from clutter to contentment to calendar to consuming media. We we have so much of this stuff that has begun to distort our vision in a way that we did not realize. We too could possibly have this type of tunnel vision to where we just cannot see. We're moving so fast that we cannot process, enjoy, or here it is, we're moving so fast that we cannot be in awe of the beautiful things that are passing us by every day. Because the speed we carry and the volume of things in our life simply will not let our heart process everything else around us. And since we can't see... The things around us very well to capture a sense of awe in life. That means that we're not pushing into the next posture of worship because awe never hits us. So we never hit awe and then we never move into worship. This is really, really dangerous to our hearts. Listen to this quote He who can no longer pause to ponder or to wonder and stand wrapped in awe. Is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. You may ask, well, what scripture or theologian or pastor said this? Neither. Albert Einstein said that. A man who was not fond of God, who was not fond of religion, but even he, a man who did not care about God, realized this. this is important. a guy who had no 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 under or no belief in God, even he realized we were created for all. that's what the heart was built for that we are creatures that thrive off of and need all in our lives, and when we lose our capacity to feel all or our ability to pursue all, then we become lost in his words. We're as good as dead. One of the most helpful books that I've read in quite some time. um, It's a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by Mark Comer. If you've been around me lately, you've probably heard me uh, talk about it. He says something that kind of speaks directly into this awe and worship capacity. He, He says this, attention is the beginning of devotion. Catch that again. It's short. Attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention, or another way to say it, is focus is the beginning of a devotion. What many of us might find is we're moving so quickly and we're doing so many things that our minds and hearts are not capable of focusing very well on anything, especially God. Or our focus and attention is so fragmented There's so many things coming at us that we can't just focus on one. And it's caused a situation where we cannot see God clearly. We cannot pay attention to God clearly. And in that, we cannot receive awe from what he's done. We cannot worship him and we cannot be devoted to him. Let me read one more excerpt from this book. What you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. That bodes well for those who are apprentices of Jesus, who give the bulk of their attention to him and and what is good and beautiful and true in the world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotionally charged drama or the non-stop feed of celebrity uh, celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel. But again, we become what we give our attention to for better or for worse. What this moment in history gives us that we never expected, and, and guys, we never even asked for it, is a chance to see where our focus and our attention has been or has not been. It gives us a moment to pause and diagnose and analyze that. Has our focus been on a million things, have we been fragmented and, and distracted? Have we put our attention into things like hobbies and financial plans and 401ks and vacations In the classic, I just want to give my kid every opportunity possible? Or has our attention gone to work and countless other things so much so that we have literally cut off our hearts from being able to experience awe and worship because we are just flooding and drowning them in a world of meaningless things so that we cannot see the thing that means more than anything see the reason why some people might find themselves feeling maybe a little bit better in the heart than they did before even though circumstances are still crazy and they still are unknown and they're still scary might just be that we have slowed down just enough that unbeknownst to us and really on accident the heart has started to almost reset maybe you've slowed down enough to where your heart is starting to experience awe once again. Might it be that that slowdown has has kind of cleared your tunnel vision? You didn't mean to do it. You didn't try to do it, but just all of a sudden it's happened and now we need to kind of deal with what that means. All of a sudden mundane things that you never paid attention to in your life are beginning to bring you contentment and some sort of peace and maybe, just maybe, when all is starting to come alive in your heart again, maybe you're on the edge of worship for the first time in a really, really long time. What COVID has done is given us the opportunity that we would never take for ourselves. It's as if life got really moving like an out of control train barreling down the tracks and it was just moving too fast and we couldn't stop it right? The inertia of it all. It's just, I, I, I can't slow it down. There was no way to, to pull the brake and, and it was moving too fast. You couldn't just jump off. It wouldn't have been safe. You didn't think you could stay alive. Or, or maybe this is it. Maybe you were completely unaware of how fast you're moving maybe you had no idea either way COVID has has yanked the e-brake to slow us down in a way that we couldn't or wouldn't it has made this massive change that we would not have made on our own we could not have even fathomed making it on our own and the question now becomes on the other side of all of this will you immediately jump right back on to the life that's moving way too fast all over again it's stopped. It's, it, it, it has brought you an opportunity to reset. But when it starts going again, will you without question pick up your stuff and jump right back on? I'd remind you there are endless things calling for your attention in life. And as soon as as those things are readily available once again, which may not be too long from now, at that moment, we will have to face them and make the decision all over again. Will you follow the things of the world again, even its breakneck pace? Or hear me, will you rebel against the world by slowing down so that you can have awe and wonder restored in your heart? And so that you could worship the God of the universe. Will you move with the flow or will you rebel and will you slow down? Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. I'm going to read an excerpt from this. This is Jesus's life and ministry. Verse 14 starts like this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God says this the time has come the kingdom of God has come near now we need to understand that for hundreds and hundreds of years people were waiting for this kingdom and this king and this redemption to come and Jesus's message to them is it's here what you've been waiting on it's here and it's available now repent and believe the good news the kingdom is here repent and believe to come into it Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And this is what Jesus says to them, come follow me. And Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. In Mark's gospel, he doesn't play around. He just jumps right into the meat of it, right? The first chapter, Jesus comes. The good news, the wait is over. Redemption, the kingdom, the glory of God is here and it's available right now. If you want a part of that, repent and believe which is to say, turn from your ways, turn from your life, and instead believe in me and follow me and find life there. It's available now. Come follow me. And then if, if that really wasn't enough, we get two literal examples of what it looks like. Jesus walks up to Simon. Uh, he, he's the guy who is later renamed Peter and his brother Andrew. And Jesus says, Something that we try and maybe dismiss or ignore or maybe just think it's just for the disciples and not us. Jesus says these words that have not left my mind for the, the, really the past six weeks. Jesus says, follow me. Notice that he doesn't say read about me. He doesn't say be friends with people who follow me. He doesn't say hang out with circles of people who follow me. He doesn't say just just hang out with people who, who say my name and do moral things or anything like that. He says, no, if you want a part of my redemption, of my kingdom, of my work, of what I'm doing, you personally follow me. And what happens? They drop their nets they drop what they're doing. This isn't figurative or uh, this this isn't like a metaphorical language. The fishermen actually drop their nets. Think about what that means. To follow Jesus, they dropped their mode of income. They dropped their security. They dropped the habits that they'd had really all of their their life. They, they, they dropped their routine immediately. To follow Jesus meant that their life got radically rewired. To follow Jesus isn't just to believe a couple facts about him. It is to actually chase after him, to to reorient your life, to, to repent away from the way you were living before and instead follow him. A lot of the things that took a lot of their time immediately got changed right then in order to follow. In case we want to brush that one off or pretend well, that was just one case, what does Jesus do after that? Well, he goes to James and John and he does the exact same thing. He says, follow me. And the brothers leave their mode of life that they had walked in prior again to follow Jesus. Their life got radically examined very quickly. And they saw all of this stuff that I have right now is is not as good as you. They dropped it and they followed him. What I believe Jesus wants to hear in our own lives, the church is really this. Just if there's anything that you hear from us, it, hear this. What I think Jesus wants us to hear is the exact same call. COVID has thrown a wrench into your and my very carefully catered life. Right now, Jesus is at the door, though, and he's saying, will you follow me all over again? Your life is paused. Your life is slowed down. And Jesus says, I'm right here. Will you drop your nuts? your old way of life? And will you refuse to pick them up to follow me? Will you slow down? Will you do less in order to receive more awe from me? Will you do less in order to create a foundation of worship in your life? He's there and he's asking you that question now, looking through the gospels. How often do you hear Jesus say, hey, hurry up. How often do you hear Jesus walk up and somebody be like, hey, how are you doing? Like, oh, I'm just so busy. Or how often do you hear the phrase, well, I just don't have enough time out of Jesus? How often do you hear Jesus go, come on, come on, let's go, and demand for you to, to do more, get more, accomplish more? How much do you hear any of that out of him? Well, you never do. Instead, you find in Jesus not a demand from a cruel slave driver to work harder and go faster. You hear instead from Jesus a fresh invitation to slow down and stop working. We have to to get that. Think about the words that that are used to describe uh, the the blessing and fruit that come in our lives from when we personally follow Jesus. Rest. Peace. Peace comfort, a light burden, a yoke that is easy. None of those are terms of speed. In a world lost in hurry, lost in speed, lost in anxiety, lost in appointments, lost in excess, Jesus stands apart saying, I know that you're scared, but breathe and come follow me. Slow down and come with me. I know that it feels almost impossible and the current of culture feels like there's no way that you can get out of it and Jesus says, there is a way out. Just follow me. Just follow me. And see if you don't find rest for your soul. See if you don't find life. See if your heart doesn't come alive when it has room to move and breathe and experience all again. Come find rest for your soul and see that I've paid the price on the cross already for you. Jesus' message is you don't have to work harder and move faster, it's slow down and believe in what I've already done for you. I've accomplished it, I've done it, I finished it, I have made a way for you to be redeemed so you can exhale, you can slow down, and you can enjoy the beauty of what I've done. You don't have to move at that pace anymore doesn't matter what you think the world demands of you see at every moment jesus offers us a fresh glimpse of his accomplishment and he asks us in light of that now will you follow and believe in what i've done will you build your own kingdom will you move at your own pace or will you build your life on what i've done for you and move with me in a way that lets your heart actually be healthy see this is my hope Jesus asks us right now, will you follow me again? Will you find peace and rest in me again? My hope for me is that I would. My hope for you is the same. See, God, help us get back or not to get back into the exact same life that we were in right before this. Help us to begin examining our time and our finances and our interests and even the things that were just doling out our mind maybe it is maybe it's netflix maybe it's youtube maybe it's meaningless meetings maybe it's a hobby maybe there's some things that we just need to examine and go i'm not going to pick that back up even though i'm able to now because it just puts my heart in a position where i have to move too fast see jesus invites us right now come taste and see that i'm good you don't have to pick the thing back up you don't have to get back on the moving train We supplied a worship guide today like the other weeks so that you may have time to to worship in song afterwards. But I would encourage you to pray and interact with Jesus as well about what he's inviting you to after all of this clears up. Sincerely go, Jesus, what would you have of me in my life and my pace? What would you say of it? Maybe even consider asking him, Jesus, will you show me why I felt like I had to move so fast before? Will you show me that? And will you teach me how your finished work allows me to not try and and do the things that I was doing before? How your finished work says it is finished over my life and my chaos and my pace. Jesus, would you teach me? If you do that, I think he will begin to do that and, and invite you freshly to enjoy him in slow, slow, deep breaths where your heart can find awe and worship again. I'd remind you of one more scripture that I hope that you will just pocket it. Maybe just put it in the back pocket and just hold on to it for maybe it's a couple weeks from now, maybe it's a month from now, but when everything opens back up. When, when, there, when there are no limitations on, on social distancing or where we can be or what we can do anymore, can I guarantee you the old life and the pace of the world will, will beckon you. They're going to try and lure you to, to come back in. And they're going to try and scare you and terrify you to tell you you have no other choice but to get back on. When that happens, will you hear this from Mark 8? What good is it to gain the whole world if you lose your soul? See, Jesus says you don't have to get back on. I have accomplished everything for you. I have redeemed you. I have paid for you. I have adopted you. Repent, believe, follow me. There's nothing else you need to gain. There's nothing else you need to go do. Come find rest in me. Church, Jesus offers us redemption and a light burden And what a beautiful thing if we could begin to slow down, find all, and begin to understand the beauty of what's around us. Think about your life. When's the last time you looked out the window and enjoyed watching rain? When's the last time that you enjoyed the colors around you? When's the last time that that you really just relished a moment with a friend? Maybe when we slow down, we'll begin to relish those things again and thank God for them. And maybe our hearts will become healthier and healthier and. healthier. I pray that that would be the case. I pray that you find Jesus' words are true. Come and follow me, and I believe that you'll find rest there. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your will is done through this. My spirit, I pray that you meet us wherever we're at. They begin to help us, not really just to fall in shame, but just to analyze with clear eyes what we've done and what's on our schedule and what's on our calendar, and that you would just give us release from some of the things that we just don't have to do anymore. I pray that you would begin to to be what we actually build our life upon. And maybe we'd realize that building our life looks a whole lot more like, like demolishing old things that used to be in our life. Jesus, speak into that. Speak into our pace. Speak into what we do. Speak into what we have around us. I pray that you would draw us to you. That we would worship and live in light of following the unhurried Savior do work in us. We pray that in your name and be glorified. Amen. Church, until I see you again, I love you guys. I'm excited for the day that we can worship together again. I will kind of give some more updates about what that's going to look like moving forward. Have a great day. Check out the worship guide. Spend some time praying with God over this. All right. Have a good one.